When she was just 17 years old, she accepted a ride from a stranger who turned out to be a homicidal maniac, threatened to torture, kill her. He was armed with a knife. She was held at knife point. She barely escaped with her life, only to find out a decade later that she was on a drive with a serial killer. And she's here to tell her story. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Calling us from Arizona, we have Constance Drew on the phone. By the way, Constance is someone I met quite a while ago on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, a free app. Be sure to check it out. Look for me. Follow me. My name's John Initial J Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, or at L-E-T Radio Show. Constance, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Well, thank you, John. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Well, you've got an interesting story. And truth be told, it took you a while to say, I got to find the strength to be able to tell this story. Uh, yes, it did. And just a little information on that, basically. I wrote a book in May in a three-day virtual retreat, and I got stuck on this story. When I sat down to write, I thought I was writing a business book, and that's not what it turned out to be at all. It turned out to be more about my life journey. And I literally got writer's block on this story and could not write until I wrote about it. And it was something that I blocked out for a long time. So as you mentioned, it took me a while to really kind of work up the, the courage <laughs> to go ahead and share the story for the first time. And what's odd about that, I, Constance, is you were forced into a life and death situation where you had to summon the courage to fight back and escape. So later on in life, we have to summon the courage to be able to write about it and tell people about it. Well, it may seem ironic, I understand totally. Well, I appreciate that because, yeah, it does take a lot to write about this. And I even made a, a trip to see my kids over the summer to talk to them a little bit about this because I said, you know, I'm going to come out with this book. I waited till you kids got older There's because there are things about it about in the book that is related to them. And I just thought this was the best time. I told them I thought it was time to share the story. The story is one, John, that I did not even share with my parents. They went to their graves without knowing that I had this experience. And I think it is pertinent now, though, that I come out with it and let other people know that regardless of different situations you have in your life, that you can overcome them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, I'll be the first to, to admit that, but I think that, you know, with work and time, and I think the biggest one for me, and like you mentioned with my hesitancy about coming out with the story, is I had to finally face it. You know, and I really sat down and I, I relived the experience. Well, that's not, so that that, that's very uncomfortable to do. Uh, there's, there's certain parts about my story that I don't want to talk about. It, not that I deny they occurred, not that I'm embarrassed or anything like that. I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to remember it. I don't want to relive any of the emotions with it. And I don't want to answer questions about it. Well, and you nailed it. <laughs> 
that's a lot about how I feel with it, too. And especially because, it, you know, it's a personal experience. You know, there's not anything documented, per se, about it. And I think it took me a lot to really realize that it's okay. It is my story. It did really happen to me. And I don't need to document it. I don't no. need to prove it. You, you were 17 it. years old when this occurred, correct? Yes, I was. And basically what had happened was just kind of a prelude to everything. I had a rare blood disease when I was 16. And I was entering my senior year of high school. Basically, didn't even go to school for that semester because I was crippled. I had to learn how to walk again. And this is pertinent to the story because literally I had already decided that summer that I wanted to move 450 miles away from home to go to college. And I had some friends and family there. And so that's what I did. I mean, I literally, I got better. I wasn't able to go to school. I was basically, but I graduated early. So three weeks after I turned 17 in December, I moved 450 miles away from home by myself. And I started college there. And one of the reasons I did that was I wanted people to just get to know me because I still had like moon face and some other things, side effects from the prednisone and the different heavy medications that I was on for the blood disease. And so even prior to having this incident happen, I'd already had to go through a trauma of learning how to walk again, you know, and, and kind of learning who I was again. Yeah. Well, but, and by the way, 17 is not easy. It, people ask me, would you go back to being a teenager again? I'm like, heck no. I mean, I love being a guy in my 50s and 60s. It's so much easier. <laughs> and I totally agree. And especially being 17 and in the 70s was not easy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, the kids today have no idea. We didn't have TikTok. We didn't have social media. We had to entertain ourselves. We hung out with friends. We drank beer in the woods. All that fun stuff. <laughs> you know, and then oh my. Uh, it's like, I really had a good time as a kid. I really had a great time, but it was an awkward time. It was a difficult time, and as always trying to be someone I wasn't. So when you say you're 17 and you had these health challenges and you decided, hey, look, I want to embark and set my own path. I get it. You know, I really am glad that I did because I learned a lot about myself. I was able to make a lot of good friends. And it just, like you said, being 17, too, I grew up in a small town. And I rodeoed, and I you know, was in FSA and 4-H and this and that and the other. And so I was kind of a scrappy kid anyway, so I kind of could hold my own. I wasn't too worried about that. And I think that's what really caught me off guard, you know, when I share my experience about what happened with the ride that I took, was that I wasn't scrappy that day. It would not have served me well. One of the really funny things, and not funny, ha-ha funny, is... We have this image in our mind of how I'm going to react in life and death situations. And, you know, it's shaped by what we see in movies. And as a cop, I would love to tell you that I was like Clint Eastwood and go ahead, make my day and other witty comebacks. The truth is my responses were never like that at all. They were courageous. They're heroic for sure. But they were also muttering sounds that made no sense, acting like it had no control over what was going on because you really don't. And it's a fight for your life quite often. It never turns out like Hollywood. No, it doesn't, John. And that's one thing that, that I learned very quickly. Like I said, I was, and I am proud of myself in the sense that I was able to assess my situation. One of the things, Constance, I know or I suspect that you were hesitant to talk about is because, you know, we, sometimes we have this 
guilt we beat ourselves up over. I should have handled it better. I should have, could have, would have. I should have done this. I want people to understand this. Constant was 17 years of age, a long ways from home, wound up in a car with someone who turned out to be a serial killer, threatening to torture her, threatening to kill her. It literally was a life and death situation. And yeah, I can see where it'd be easy to beat myself up and say I should have done something different. I, what has surprised me is what I've really come to realize is that it's the victims, the victims that he did take, yeah. that I had, I've had to work through the guilt. And the survivor's yeah. guilt is a real, a real thing. We're talking with Constance Drew. Constance is calling us from Arizona. And she's going to talk about when she was 17 years old, wound up in a car ride with a person who wound up being a serial killer. She's also written a book that goes into great detail about it. Is coming out soon called A Drive of a Serial Killer. She is a podcaster, Wickedly Wise Women Entrepreneurs Podcast. She is a business coach, help people get their business off the ground and grow. Her website is startuptosuccess.com. That's number two. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. If you haven't done so already, Please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. Return conversation with Constance Drew on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Constance is a very successful person. She has the Wickedly Wise Women Entrepreneurs Podcast. Her website is startup2success.com. That's startup2success.com. She coaches people. She gets their business going and growing no matter where they are in a cycle. And she authored a book, A Drive with a Serial Killer, about when she was 17 and she wound up in the clutches of someone who turned out to be a serial killer. For the rate constants, you're talking about the lead up to it, going to college, everything else. How did you wind up with this homicidal, maniacal killer? Well, I actually, I'd gone home for the summer, and then I decided to go back up and visit my friends and family that I still had in that area. And so, you know, imagine here I was, 17, I just graduated from high school in May, kind of, yeah, won't even go into all that. But anyway, graduated in May. I'd already been to a semester of college, graduated officially in May, went up in June, and I was staying with friends. And I had gotten like kind of like a resp- respiratory infection. And one of my cousins, I, when I talked to her, she said, well, you know, why don't you come by the clinic where I work at, you know, schedule an appointment, and we'll get you something to help you with that. So I thought, okay, fine. And I called and I you know, scheduled my appointment, thinking that when I went in in a few days that my cousin would be there. And she had offered to give me a ride, and also the friends that I was staying with had said the same thing, you know, we'll, we'll come and pick you up. And I don't can't remember why I decided to take a Greyhound bus and drive myself, but anyway, I was up there without transportation. And so, the sunny morning, you know, if you can imagine, I get up, I get ready, feeling pretty good, because I'd lost the weight from the prednisone and so forth, so I was feeling pretty good about myself. And my friends dropped me off at this clinic. And I actually get in and out much quicker than we thought. Well, it turns out that my cousin was not working that day, so I tried to get a hold of my friends. And mind you, this is in the 70s when we didn't have cell phones. Well, they weren't home, so I couldn't get a hold of them. And then when I did finally get a hold of one friend, she wasn't able to come pick me up. She had had a flat tire, mother told me. 
long story short, I stepped outside to think, man, what am I going to do now? Well, there had been a really good-looking guy in the clinic with me, and I had noticed him. And he walked out and went past me and kind of went down the steps. I can still see this to this day. You know, he had a, a really nice Camaro. I noticed sports cars. And, of course, I noticed because he was a good-looking guy. And he started to unlock his car, and he looked at me and goes, oh, do you need a ride? Well, unbeknownst to me, he had actually overheard inside that I didn't have a ride. And I went ahead and thought, well, it's not very far away, and surely you know, I'll be okay. So I get in the car with him, and I don't know, this would have been mid-morning or so. And anyway, so why don't we, we started talking, and I mean, just things seemed pretty normal. You know, we were laughing and talking about his car, playing rock music that we both liked. And he said, well, why don't we swing by and, and get a or something? And, of course, that was common for us to do in those days. And as we pulled into though, something started not feeling so right with him. And that's when he asked me if I wanted to smoke a joint. And I kind of laughed and I said, no, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. I thought, there's no way I'm going to smoke a joint with a stranger. So he got kind of funny about things. And I thought, man, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And so I said, well, you know, I'm not too far from here where I'm staying. And about that time, a police officer pulls up in a police car about two spaces over from us. That's when this guy got really weird. And I thought it was because of the drugs. And I kind of glanced at the police officer, and right when I did, I felt something in my side, and it was oh. a knife. It was a different reaction when you saw the cop. Yeah, like he, uh, he definitely had you know some kind of, and again, I thought that he was reacting because of drugs, and no, I think it was other reasons. So he had the knife to my side, and he told me, did you look at me? He said, you don't even look that way. And, you know, he pushed the knife in in my side enough for me to feel the tip of it. And, it, you know, it was a pretty long hunting knife. And so I looked at him, and that's when I just thought, oh, my God, you know, what do I do now? And he just said, let's just talk. And, like, I remember, like, saying very little because I was really trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. You know, this is serious. Something's going on here. Did you, at that point, realize that it was really life and death or did that come later on? That came later on. I mean, I knew that I was in trouble, but I hadn't really realized the extent of it. And the follow-up is, for many of us, when when life or death situations occur, we have a, a, a moment of shock where it's like, I can't believe this is happening to me. That's exactly what happened. It's almost like I left my body. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this, this can't be happening. Like, what is going on here? And I mean, I made sure that I looked at him, and, you know, I kept conversation what little bit that we talked. And I'll never forget the feeling I felt, though, when the policeman pulled out of that parking lot, out of that sonic drive-in, because as I saw him in the rearview mirror, you know, kind of back out to, to pull forward and leave, I remember my heart sank because I thought, oh, my God, you know, uh, what's going to happen now? And I found out very quickly, I mean, it's – he – the guy that I was with decided to go ahead. We still sat there for a few minutes, and I'm like, man, what do I do? Because it's like I still had that knife at my side. And he started talking, kind of rambling then, and he pulled out, and I said, okay, can you just take me home? I mean, I was still kind of naive at that point. That and two, I'm thinking, like, you know, how can I just get home? How can I get to my friend's house? And what I did, basically, you know, as we got to the, the highway, I told him, you know, where to turn, that's when I realized, though, when we passed 
when we passed where he should have turned, that's when, and by the way, when he pulled out a he put the hunting knife on the dashboard. So I kept it on the dashboard near him. And this was, you know, back in the day when we didn't wear seatbelts. So I didn't have a seatbelt on, and this will become relevant a little bit later on in, in this, but I didn't have a seatbelt on. We were heading, you know, out of town. He drove past where he was supposed to turn. Well, at that point, he was starting to tell me how he was going to torture me with the knife and how the knife would know me before he knew me. And literally just, I remember hearing bits and pieces of it. And I mean, I'm just literally like praying to the God that I believed in, like, you know, please help me. I don't know what to do, you know. And as he sped up, he started telling me more and more how he was going to torture me and literally, you know, what all he was going to do to me with this knife. I mean, he really had the assassination with this knife. And so at that point, I'm still thinking he's going to rape me. And I had literally, being a cocky 17-year-old, I started to reach back into my jeans pocket, and I pulled out my license, and I said, you can't touch me, I'm jailbait. How naive was that, John? I'm jailbait. Well, look, I'm not going to criticize your response to that, because I wasn't there, number one. Number two, I would do whatever it took at that moment to try to find a way to get out. And if that worked, if that made him think even for a slightest second, oh, I need to rethink this. It was well worth it. Did did it work? Oh, no. That's when he told me he was going to kill me and nobody would oh. find my body. This is going Dad. from bad to worse. We are talking with Constance Drew. Constance is talking about when she was 17 years old, wound up getting a ride with someone who turned out to be, later on she discovered, a serial killer. When we return, we're going to talk about her life and death struggle and how she escaped his grasp. But this is the Law Enforcement Today show. Trust me, you don't want to go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Back to our conversation with Constance Drew calling us from Arizona. Constance she is a podcaster. Her podcast is called Wickedly Wise Women Entrepreneurs Podcast. She is a very successful business person and business coach. Her website is startup the number two success.com. And she has an upcoming book called A Drive with a Serial Killer. Will be published very soon. Constance, you found yourself 17 years old in a car with this guy threatening to kill you with a knife and you, you pulled out your driver's license saying, I'm underage. And obviously, that didn't do anything but maybe aggravate him or what? You know, in a sense, it excited him. But what did happen, literally, very quickly, you know, again, he was going about 65 miles an hour. I knew he was heading me out of town into the mountains because I knew that area. So I really knew I was in trouble. And, you know, of course, he had laughed. I'll never forget that. Like, him laughing and slapping the steering wheel, saying, oh, you know, it's not going to matter. They're not going to find your body anyway. And that's when I literally remember grabbing the uh, handle, the door handle. And that was back in the day, you know, when we didn't have, he didn't, he couldn't lock me inside the car. And the door wasn't locked. I didn't have a seatbelt on. 
and I literally can still feel that metal in my hand. And, you know, thinking that, okay, I'm going to pull this handle up, and I'm going to jump out of this car. If I'm going to die today, I'm going to die falling out of this car. I'm not going to let this man do to me what he is saying he's going to do to me. And the other thing, too, and I mean, all of this went through very quickly, but the other thing, too, is I thought, I don't want my parents to never know, you know, at least if I die in a gully here, they'll know what happened to me. If he gets away with me, they'll never know. You know, I probably wouldn't want them to know what happened. And so, literally, I'll, I'll never forget, because right as I'm pulling the handle halfway up and getting ready to do the, the last pull to jump out, he goes, damn, I forgot the battery acid. And he started slowing down. And like because of the way that he you know, yelled, it shocked me. So I had let go of the door handle. He slowed down and made a U-turn and went into an auto, you know, pulled into an auto parts store that was on the side of the road. And we were the only ones there. And, you know, at that point, and like I said, there, I did not do a lot of talking through this because I could tell it's like, the less that I talked, the less, you know, engaged he got. Because it, it almost seemed like if I talked to him very much, he got more excited about what he was going to do to me. But at that point, when we pulled into that auto parts store, this time he grabbed the knife, you know, and he started to get out of the car. He put it in the back of his jeans, basically, I guess his belt loop, pulled his shirt over it, and he looked at me. He told me, he said, don't you say a word. Don't you get out of his car and don't move, because if you do, I'm going to kill whoever's inside the store. So then he took it from not just me, he took it to somebody else. And I'll never forget hearing that bell when he opened the bell to go into the store. And I'm just, I'm sitting there in shock saying, you know, and literally like just cry. At that point, I did start crying. I'm like, what do I do now? Because I knew that I was athletic, but I knew he was more athletic than me. So I thought if I get out of this car, what are my chances of me being able to outrun him? So, I mean, like all these thoughts, you have no idea how quickly in that situation... Thoughts just like fly through your, your mind. And the other thought I had was like, you know, I can't dare go in because I think he will kill me and everybody else in the store. And there was nobody there. And literally, I mean, I just I remember sitting there trembling, staring at that stupid door, just waiting for him to come out and not knowing what to do. And about that time, a pickup pulled up a few places over from where we were parked and there were two men in the front of the cab, and there were three young teenagers in the back. I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, what do I do now? You know, I'm already accepted the ride with this guy. He's turning out to be really strange. Am I going to take my chance with these other guys? Well, I didn't know what else to do, so I ran over to them. I got out of the car. I ran over really quickly. And I said, you've got to get me out of here. Please take me home. This guy that, you know, drove me here, he's really kind of strange. Can you please take me home? But I didn't tell them details because I was afraid that he would hurt the people in that pickup. So I waited until, you know, it, and the funny thing is, like, because one of the guys was he's getting out, I said, do you want us to go take care of him? I said, no, just, just get me out of here, please. And as we were driving, I waited until we almost, almost got to where I was staying. And actually, the, the driver looked at me and said, I told you initially, you were, it was like you were as safe as in the hands of God. We're getting you home. And that's when I told them about the knife. And I said, I just, I didn't want to take the chance that you might get hurt as well. And John, after that, I went on shutdown mode. It's like I completely blocked that from my memory for decades. And it was about 11 years after that that I, I had gone on to college. I had gotten married. I had my three children. And 
I still needed a couple of years of college to complete because I've been a stay-at-home mom with a licensed daycare out of my home. And I went back to college for the summer. I needed to take some prerequisite courses before I finished my semester where I drove 100 miles each way three days a week to finish my degree. But a friend and I were sitting in a common area. We didn't have TVs in our rooms. And so I was staying in a dorm during the week, you know, just for the summer sessions, and then I would go home on the weekends. She and I were just kind of hanging out, laughing, this and that and the other. And I'll never forget this either because... Like, we were just kind of joking around and kind of had the TV on as background noise. And she, all of a sudden, she stared at the TV, and she looked shocked. And, man, when I looked up, I completely just left my body. I saw the face of someone that I had not seen in over a decade. And he was on America's Most Wanted. Oh. And that was the guy that was, was driving the car that threatened to kill you? Yep, it was definitely him. And and what, like I was, could, what was he wanted for? Serial rape and serial murder. When you say serial, what people really don't understand is that's someone who does it repeatedly. They have a pattern. Quite often they have a an MO, but it's not always the case. But they, they, they deliberately track people, they target people, and quite often with serial rapists, they turn into serial murderers because they, they can't leave the victim behind. And I'm not saying that to justify what they do. I just want people to understand what it is, how dangerous this guy was, and you don't know at that point how far in his serial killing career he was. You know, it's like I blanked out at that point. I was just so shocked. And the reason why the the girl that I was with, she had known him. He had grown up in her area. So we started talking a little bit about about him. And I just told her, I said, he abducted me. You know, and we talked. And I know he had, at that point, had, I don't know, I don't remember the numbers, but I know it was several. And it really made me wonder at that point, you know, was I his practice runner and had he done this to other women before me? Well, we know one thing for sure. We know what his intentions were. That's when it really, be- talking about really becoming real, because I knew that I, he had said this stuff, but then when you actually see proof that he's done it. Here's, yeah. here's something, you know, when people say, I had to learn this the hard way as a, as a rookie cop, when people say they're going to punch you, you learn to take him seriously. When people say, hey, I'm going to kill you, and they are armed, you have to take it seriously. Like, they mean what they're going to say. And part of us, it's so unnatural for what we go through and how we live our lives. We don't think they're serious. That's exactly right. I mean, it just, because it's so beyond comprehension that somebody actually, a stranger, wants to kill you. You know, like, you're thinking, like, what did I do to you? Why would you want to kill me? You know, why am I the, the chosen one, so to speak? And I get that, Constance. One of the overriding things that we do have similar. As a cop, I, I understand people shoot up police. I get it. They're trying to avoid apprehension. I understand that. The four times people shot at me, trying to shoot me, every time there was a moment of... I can't believe this is happening to me. And I can't believe they're trying to kill me. They don't even know me. They have no idea who I am. We're talking with Constance Drew. We're talking about when she was 17 years old and she wound up in a car ride with a person who wound up being a serial killer. And yes, he did threaten her. Yes, he was violent. He threatened rape, murder, torture, and more. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We have so much more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Constance Drew calling us from Arizona. Constance is a podcaster. Her podcast is Wickedly Wise Women Entrepreneurs Podcast. She's a business coach, a successful business person herself. Website is startup number two success.com. That's startup two success.com. She's authored the book coming out soon, A Drive with a Serial Killer. We're talking about you were 17, you wound up in the car with this guy who's a serial killer. You find out later on watching America's Most Wanted, it's this guy. And he's killed and murdered and raped numerous women. And how old about how old were you when you realized this? I would have been about twenty eight. And it had to be a real sucker punch, for lack of better words, because you had put this out of your mind. You went on, insisted on living your life. You had plans. You're determined. You're doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, boom, there he is on television. It had to be like a cascading series of, of events for you. Like, where do you go from there? You know, the, the body works in a mysterious way because what I immediately went back on shutdown mode in the sense of blocking it out of my memory. It's. I was thinking about that, and I was married to my husband for nine years before we divorced, and I don't think I ever shared this with him. Like I mentioned earlier, I never shared it with my parents. I just. It's like I just went back in this protective mode, and I did go on later to have you know another incident that was a life and death situation that I share in my book. But it did take me. That's actually what prompted me to move to the East Coast and, and take what I call my spiritual journey. Because at that point, John, I had realized that, man, I have had, you know, <laughs> these people wanting to kill me. I don't know why I'm laughing about it, but I'm like, it's, yeah. Well, the like option is what, I cry? I, I mean, I get it. These things happen. Yeah. I sometimes chuckle about them. But when I really talk about them and when I feel the feelings, it's not funny. No, it's not. I mean, it's like... It's, it's a defense mechanism is what I'm saying. I get when you chuckle. Yeah, I just, that's the way that I dealt with it. I went through a few more traumas. And literally when I, I got on a Greyhound bus with a one-way ticket and went to the East Coast and lived for several years. And that for me, that is how I started to rebuild my life. I initially made that choice because I had a domestic partner who did threaten my children. He had threatened me, but when he threatened my children, I knew that it was serious. And so I did leave my children behind. And that's probably the hardest part of that I share yeah. because being, especially being a mother in the nineties, I was so harshly judged about the decision that I made, but I did it for numerous reasons. I think what really happened was the events of being with a serial killer, the events of being in a a domestic violence situation, you know, my children being threatened, you know, it just all accumulated and I just couldn't take it anymore. One and of the I things like I, I hear quite often from people that really go through a lot of trauma is they feel like they're a burden on their family, in particular their children. And their children would be a lot better off if I wasn't around having X, X, Y, and Z impact on them. 
that's a lot how I felt. And especially in the situation, it literally turned out to the point where I left my children behind because I knew that their father would keep them in the same home, the same church, the same school, you know, same Christian school that we had enrolled them in. Their life would be more stable. I was the unstable one at that point, and I'll be the first to admit it because I'd gone through all these things. I hadn't learned how to deal with them. And I felt like I was not the best mother for them at that time. So combined with that and literally police going to my sister's house and saying, you need to be careful. You know, her her boyfriend is threatening her children, you and your kids. It was very significant. So there again, I had a very significant life and death situation. So I felt like it was safer for my children at the time for me to leave. Now, I chose to leave to protect them, but I chose to stay to regain my sanity. So I didn't move back west until the last decade, and I just I went on what I would call a spiritual journey. I really got to know myself. John, sometimes you hear people say, you know, they, they go somewhere, they want to get right with God. With me, it was get right with me. Yeah. I call it getting right-sized, and I've, I've been taught that phrase, that I'm not that big, bad, powerful person. I did the best I could. Did I make bad decisions? Did I do things incorrectly? Yes. Have I learned more and done better as I've gotten older? Yes. But I had to get right-sized. That's a really good way to put it. And one thing that has been a comfort to me, though, over the years, and I did go through a lot of counseling, of course, you know, to deal with complex trauma. And that helped me. I will say that, you know, there were times that I still held back, but I have, you know, I've sought support when I needed it. I've learned to kind of recognize different triggers for myself, different ways that I can get through things. And support is always a big key. And I've learned how to let myself feel more feelings. (laughs) You know, it's just, sometimes you just have to feel it. And I had to do a lot of feeling writing this book. You know, just get, putting myself back in there in those situations. But I think I've come out of it a much better person. And the comfort with my children was every, you know, all three of my children are very successful. Good. I was going to ask, how is your relationship with your children now? I have a good relationship with my daughters. My son and I have a little bit of a strained one. And that's, you know, I'm unfortunate. But I think someday he will come around. I think they each dealt with the situations differently. And especially as I got older and they've become parents, I have seven beautiful grandchildren. And each of my children, my son is in upper management with a big bank. My oldest daughter is a registered nurse. She has her degree in nursing and works as a lead nurse, I believe, in Texas. And my youngest daughter has a dance studio in New Mexico. She's been married for several years to her husband, who's a successful insurance, real not insurance, I'm sorry, real estate broker, and they have their four kids, but each of my children on separate occasions have told me over the years that they were glad I did what I did. One of the hardest things I had to learn how to do, Constance, was let people be angry. Let them deal and heal on their terms, because it took me what it took for me to, to get to where I'm at today. And where you're at today is very successful. You've got this book coming out, A Drive with a Serial Killer. It'll be published on Amazon, and and part of it talks about this, but it really talks about your entire life's journey, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And tell us about your podcast and your business. Well, my podcast is Wickedly Wise Women Entrepreneurs, and I like to interview women who have 
not necessarily gone through similar traumas, but women who have overcome something and become successful so that we can talk about how to encourage other women to do that as well. And the book is A Drive with a Serial Killer. It will be, you know, published, I believe, in November. It's at the publishers now. And I work with podcasters and business owners starting podcasts to, to help with their marketing. That's really what I focus on is like the podcast is part of a marketing strategy. I could talk marketing day in and day out. <laughs> so in your website is startup the number two success dot com. Does that detail everything you're doing? It will. <laughs> it details most of it, yes. There's a lot on there, by the way. I did check it out. I did a little scoping out before the interview. And by the way, I'll repeat, I met Constance in the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, which, by the way, is free. There's a version for Android and iPhone devices as well. Look for me. Follow me. John Minosha J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, or at L-E-T Radio Show. And would you give people your information on Clubhouse so they can look for you? Yes, they can find me at Podcast Biz Coach is my handle. And I'm also a club pod leader, and I have uh, weekly rooms. And by the way, I'm a club pod leader now, too. I kind of feel like I've arrived. Constance, I got to say this. I really appreciate you coming on. I know it took a lot of effort and a long time for you to consider doing this and telling your story. The reason why I'm so grateful you told your story about the drive to serial killer is A, that you survived, you built a good life for yourself afterwards, and a lot of people need to realize that no matter what they're going through, they can have a good life as well. But I think it's important for all those who did not survive these serial killers that someone tells their story and I will be forever grateful that you took the time to tell us here on the Law Enforcement Today show. Oh, I appreciate it, John. I think it was mine to, to share. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.